morning, everyone. It is good to be here. And uh, in case you're wondering, I have my mask, and before I get closer than however far away we are from each other right now, I'll put it back on, so no worries. And uh, speaking of masks, I appreciate what Jamie said about trying to find something positive about them. I'd been thinking the same thing, and then when I showed up to the building this morning, it finally hit me when I saw Matt Gibson, and I thought to myself, wow, that's actually an improvement for him. (laughs) And I don't even get to see his facial expression now because he's hiding it. Uh, Sorry, Matt, I'm just trying to get things back as much uh, to normal as possible. (laughs) But it is good to be here, and it's good to see all of you, even Matt. I hope you have your Bibles turned open to Psalm 122 this morning. The psalm begins, as Carson read for us a moment ago, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. This psalm, Psalm 122, is... Uh, or it belongs to a collection of psalms known as the Songs of Ascent. These Songs of Ascent are those that the Israelites would sing as they would make their yearly uh, trip to Jerusalem in order to worship God in the temple and in order to observe the feasts. These songs really were songs of meditation and Their purpose was to help prepare the minds of the worshipers to be able to worship God. The interesting thing about Psalm 122 is how it falls in line with Psalm 120 and Psalm 121. In Psalm 120, the people are pictured as traveling to Jerusalem. They're on their way to be able to worship God. In Psalm 121, they arrive in the city, and so they begin to rejoice because at long last they've made their destination. And now, in Psalm 122, after having made the long journey and having finally arrived in the city, they are preparing to enter into the temple of God. And hence the refrain at the beginning of the psalm, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It would be very difficult not to be impressed with the overwhelming joy and gladness that is associated with worship in the entirety of God's word, but particularly in the book of Psalms. Here are a few just for example. Psalm 42 and verse 4, I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Psalm 89, or excuse me, 98 in verse number 4, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Psalm 100 in verse 3, enter into his courts with thanksgiving and, uh, excuse me, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Over and over again, when the Bible talks about worshiping God, the Bible describes worship in terms of joy and excitement and enthusiasm and gladness. And that really shouldn't surprise us at all. Because worshiping God is one of the greatest privileges that the people of God could possibly ever hope to enjoy. When we think about the opportunity to worship our God, we ought to say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I am glad for every opportunity to worship our God. We should be glad. And I'd like this morning for us to talk a little bit about why. 
First of all, the reasons why we should be glad when we have an opportunity to worship God is because, as we said a moment ago, worship is a privilege. When we worship God, we are allowed to enter into the presence of God. Now, it is true that worship is a command. In John 4, verse 23 and 24, you remember the passage, Jesus speaks to the woman at the well and he says that the Father is seeking worshipers. He's seeking true worshipers. He's seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then in Acts 20 and verse number 7, we have what constitutes a binding pattern where we find the church in the first century assembling together every first day of the week in order to worship God. So it's true that worship is a command and no one would ever reject that. But we also must recognize that just as worship is a command, it is also a privilege. It is a privilege because when we gather, when we worship God, we are again, we are allowed the ability, at least in a sense, to enter into the presence of God. Not in the sense, of course, that we're literally before him, as some might think, but rather in the sense that we as his people are gathered together to worship him, and so we have his ear and we have his attention. Listen to these passages. Psalm 100 in verse number 2, the psalmist says, Come before his presence with singing. The same psalm, Psalm 100 in verse number 4, the psalmist says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And in Psalm 66 verse 13, the psalmist said, I will go into your house with thanksgiving. I want you to stop for just a moment and imagine the privilege and the grandeur of being able to come before the presence of a king. Now in our world in the year 2020, we haven't seen much of this, maybe on television, maybe in movies or something. It's really not a practice uh, today as it has been in the history of our world. But I want you to just imagine for a moment, whatever picture you may have seen, reading it in a book or seeing it in a documentary, or maybe you've been privileged to see it in person. Whenever the king or whenever the queen of a nation enters into procession into uh, their throne room, all of the pageantry and all of the beauty and all of the gold and the silver and the pearls and all of these other things, we know the scene. Imagine what great privilege it must have been to have been able to have, been, to, to have received audience before the king. And then recognize that God is so much more and the privilege of being able to come before him and his presence is even greater. Who can forget the throne room scene in Revelation chapter 4? We have a similar one in Isaiah chapter 6, but Revelation chapter 4 is particularly, uh, particularly noteworthy. You remember the scene as John describes it in that chapter, how he sees the Almighty God sitting upon the throne and how he sees around God the uh, elders and uh, the uh, various uh, beings in the heavenly realm and how they are praising him. Uh, they have been described as professional worshipers because the Bible says that they never ceased praising God night and day. And brothers and sisters, there is a sense whenever we are able to worship our God, whenever we have his ear and we have his attention, that the presence and the eye of the almighty creator of the universe is here, focused upon us. 
And we should also recognize that this is a privilege that belongs exclusively to the children of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5, the Apostle Peter talked about the fact that we as God's people have the ability to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto him. When we worship God, we have the ability of approaching his throne in prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we are led in prayer as a congregation by a man who is living a holy and righteous life. And the Bible describes those prayers, Revelation 5 and verse number 8, is that which comes up before God uh, as something that is sweet. We have the ability and the opportunity to commune with our Lord and one another. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29. We have the opportunity to hear a message from the Word of God who has chosen to communicate with us. Colossians 3 and verse number 6. We can give of our means in order to further His work. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 and 2. We are able to sing praise and exalt Him. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19. When we think about the actions and when we think about the opportunity for worship, we have to recognize the privilege we have to recognize how special and how wonderful it really is to be able, as children of God, to offer up unto our Creator and our Redeemer the praise and the honor that He deserves. We should be glad whenever we have an opportunity to worship because of the privilege of worship. But we should be glad also, building on the first point, we should be glad when we're able to worship God because we are able to give God what He deserves. Let me ask you a question. What is worship anyway? How do you define it? If you were to break down the English word worship, literally the idea is worth-ship. That is, we are expressing the greatness or the value of God in our worship. In both the Old and New Testaments, the Hebrew and the Greek words that are translated as worship or have something to do with worship, they both indicate the practice of prostrating or bowing down before the one who is being worshipped. So when we worship God, we bow before his presence and we offer unto him the glory that is due to his name. There are a number of different designations in God's word, a number of different descriptive terms, if you will, for worship. Let me share some of them with you. When we worship God, we glorify God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16. When we worship God, we express awe of him. Psalm 33 and verse number 8. When we worship God, we magnify God. Psalm 35 and verse 27. When we worship God, we honor him. Isaiah 29 and verse 13. We praise him. Luke 19 and verse 37. We exalt him, Psalm 18 and verse 46. And we thank him, Luke 17 and verse number 16. I want you to think of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15 for just a moment. It is a passage I know that we are all familiar with where the Hebrews writer talks about the practice of bringing before God the sacrifice of praise and offering unto him the fruit of our lips. I want you to think for a moment about the terminology that the Hebrews writer uses in that passage. Notice when he talks about giving our praise, he describes it as the sacrifice of praise. We ought to be glad when we're able to come into the house of the Lord and bow before him in worship because we're able to give God what he deserves. 
But giving God what he deserves means that it's, going to call, uh, that it's going to cost me something. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse number 16, as the law of Moses outlines the responsibility of the children of Israel to observe the feasts that happen throughout the year, there is an important uh, statement, a uh, command in the 16th verse of that chapter, and here it is. God told the men when they come to Jerusalem to observe the feast, do not come empty-handed. Well, why should they not come empty-handed? Well, the reason is because they were going before God to worship him, and worship involves, Hebrews 13, verse 15, the sacrifice of praise. I wonder, when we come to worship our God, do we ever come empty-handed? Or do we come with our hands full, ready to offer him the sacrifice of praise? Ready to offer him our attention whenever his word is being proclaimed. Ready to sing to him with the best of our voice and to praise his name when we sing songs together. Ready to concentrate and think about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross when we observe the Lord's Supper. Ready to sacrificially give something so that the church, the work of God, might be able to continue on. Ready to focus whenever we offer our hearts and our petitions up to him in prayer. When we come to worship, if we come empty-handed, there's no way that we can give God what he deserves. And if we come empty-handed and we're not giving God what he deserves, there's no way that we'll ever truly be able to say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why do we come before God and offer the sacrifice of praise anyway? The answer is because of who he is. In John chapter 4 and verse number 24, the Bible says that God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We come before our God and we worship him and we honor and praise and exalt and thank him and glorify him. And the reason is because he is our creator. Psalm 100 in verse number 3, we are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. It is he who hath made us. We come before God and we offer him the sacrifice of praise because he is great. Psalm 48 in verse number 1 says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. When we come to worship God, when we come to offer him the sacrifice of praise, to give him all that we can, the glory and the honor that is due his name, we recognize that we're doing so because we are worshiping a God who loves and who cares and who provides. We are worshiping a God who sees and who knows all. We are worshiping a God who is merciful and who is long-suffering and who is gracious and the list of God's wonderful characteristics could continue to go on and on. Our God is worthy. He is worthy of our worship, and he is worthy of our praise. And one additional point. I want you to look at Psalm 103 with me just for a moment. I want you to think for, with me about all of these great characteristics of God, and then think about how those wonderful characteristics of God are to our benefit. Listen to Psalm 103. We won't look at the whole psalm, but let's notice just a few passages. The psalmist begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And you might make a mark or a notation in your notes or in your Bible that the psalmist in this passage is speaking in the imperative. He's giving, this is command language. 
When he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, verse number 2, verse 1 and 2, these are not suggestions, these are commands. And then look at the last part of verse 2. Why are we blessing the Lord? And forget not all of his benefits. And then for the remainder of this psalm, he'll go on to describe what those benefits are. He heals, uh, forgives our iniquities and heals our diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things. The Lord executes righteousness and justice, verse number 6. His mercy is great, verse number 11. And on and on the Lord goes, the, psalm, the psalmist goes. We come before God to worship him and offer him the sacrifice of praise. We give him the glory and the honor that's due to his name. And we do it from a heart that ought to be full of gratitude and full of thanksgiving. And the reason is because we think about the greatness and the majesty of our God. And we see how though our God is great and greatly to be praised, yet he has been great and good unto us. And so we worship him and we honor him for it. And when we give him what he deserves in the way that he desires, it's well-pleasing in his sight. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse number 9 is one of the important principles of sacrifice found in that book. And the Bible tells us in that passage that when the worshiper under the law of Moses would come before God and would offer his sacrifice in the way that God had commanded the sacrifice to be given, that it would go up before the Lord as a sweet-smelling savor. Worship, of course, as we well know, is not a free-for-all. It's not something that is left up to our own imagination, but rather God has requirements that are to be met. We can't offer strange fire like Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10 or will worship like those in Colossians 2 and verse number 23 and expect to be acceptable before God. But when we come before him in the way that he desires and in the way that he deserves, he will be pleased. He will be glorified. And in that case, we can say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let me suggest one more reason. We ought to be glad for the opportunity to worship because it's a privilege to worship and because we're able to give God what he deserves. But number three, we ought to be glad because we are privileged and able to do it together. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. John says... We are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. May I ask, who is the we in 1 John 5 and verse 19? Listen to 1 John 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When John says in 1 John 5, 19, we are of God, he's talking about those who walk in the light and have fellowship with God and one another. He's talking about those who are faithful New Testament Christians, just like those of us who are gathered in this room and in this building this morning. The Bible describes the opportunity in terms of gathering with those who are of like precious faith, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 1. And the Bible says that when we worship God, our worship not only has a vertical component, that is, our praise going upward to God, but it also has a horizontal component, that is, the effect, the benefit that it has on one another. Hebrews 10 verse 25, the Bible warns us against forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but the passage also talks about how we are to exhort and to build one, or, one another up, 
even so much more as we see the day approaching. Worship is an opportunity for the children of God to build one another up. Colossians 3 and verse number 16 The Bible talks about our worship in song and says that one of the things that we do is that we teach and we admonish one another. Go read Acts chapter 2 and verse 44 and following, and what you'll find is that the church was together. They were together with one mind and one mouth that they might glorify God together. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 6. And our bond, our tie as brothers and sisters and members of the family of God It's a beautiful bond and a privileged bond that the world cannot understand. And if I'm being honest, until recently, I didn't realize just how powerful and how much of a treasure it was either. So when we say or when we have the opportunity and the ability to worship, we ought with the psalmist to say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Because it's a privilege and because we give God what he deserves and because we are allowed to do it together. As brothers and sisters in Christ, those who love one another and care for one another, those who desire to be together both here and in eternity. So let us with excitement and enthusiasm at every opportunity for worshiping God express the sentiments of Psalm 122 in verse 1. Joy and gladness and excitement. I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Lesson is yours this morning. We're going to offer an invitation. It may be that there's someone here today that has need to respond, perhaps to become a child of God. Perhaps rather, perhaps you are a child of God, a New Testament Christian, but maybe you're struggling in your life. Perhaps it's sin. Perhaps it's discouragement or depression, or perhaps there are simply some questions, some things that you're working through and dealing with, and you'd like prayer and guidance and encouragement and strength to be able to deal with it. The Lord's invitation is offered, and it'd be our privilege to help. If you have need, won't you come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together.